Welcome to Creative Brainery's new podcast series, The Intersect. We are all interconnected. Fear not the different, the unheard, the new. The Intersect is nuanced conversations about inequity in Canada and beyond. We are here to learn. We are leading this from a place of love and empathy. We won't have all the answers, but we do ask questions. We want you to be compelled to reflect, ponder, mull, even noodle on everything intersectional. An added bonus, our resources segment gives you tools to approach and cope with discussions of race and identity at home, at school, and with friends and family. Who are we? So I'm Jessie LaHale. I'm a cultural producer. Using the power of storytelling, my work stems from lived experiences and is driven from a place of inclusiveness and passion for justice. I love taking nerdy theory, sifting through the technical, and applying it to the everyday. The goal, always, is to provoke people to have difficult conversations. I'm Annie Ohanna. I'm a social justice educator. Using the premise of learning from others, my work is focused on being an advocate for dialogue and interfaith progress. With everything we do, we always need to recognize that we in fact stand on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, and specifically today, the Kwantlen, the Ketsi, and the Semiamu. To be clear, unceded means that the land was stolen, it was never traded, it was never bought, it was not even won in war. So we recognize the injustice that started from that moment. And as the show is called, The Intersect, that we always realize that with Indigenous understandings, that is key to being intersectional. So why is intersectionality important? Well, because it requires that we acknowledge the paths for and experiences of oppression that may not impact us personally, but nonetheless are wrong and unjust. It demands that we recognize both the privilege of our identities and disadvantages of others, not as a matter of comparing oppression, but as a matter of understanding the universality. Power dynamics don't play a role in terms of using intersectionality as a weapon. This isn't a, I have more intersectionality than you. It's more about examining ourselves, knowing how the intersectionality of oppression affects us all, and moving forward to solve the discrimination, the systemic realities of racism in all of our lives. Intersectionality is about recognizing all identities, from gender and gender identity, race, sexuality, ability, class, education, geography, language, religion, nationality, body size, and type. The list, really, it goes on and on. Intersectionality is not a set point that you achieve, but a continuum of understanding how these identity levers can either be weaponized against others or can uplift these points for attention and action. The biggest learning from intersectionality is that we must evaluate ourselves. That is what intersectionality requires of me, of Annie, and of Annie and I, and it is what it requires of you. Armed with love, to grow continuously, empathize limitlessly, to acknowledge bitter truths, call out ugly patterns, and work to do something about it. So here we are, having conversations. This is The Intercept.
What led us to this point? Why do we feel the need to speak about this openly, constantly, with numerous people? For me, for myself, Annie, uh, it started in my life, in my early days, my background as a Sephardic Jew, my experiences in an American school system, in a military program, and more recently, as a public school educator. Intersectionality affects everything I do. It affects the everyday lives of my students. It affects what I teach, how I teach, and also what I help my students recognize in themselves. But let me start maybe for, with a little more recent event. The events in Charlottesville were shocking, more so the reaction of President Trump. I think there's blame on both sides. In terms of describing the quote-unquote many sides of oppression, as many, many people have said, there are no many sides. There are those that oppress, and there are those that are oppressed. And so, some colleagues and I, some public school educators, others working in, in various mediums and in various industries, decided that we had had enough, decided that we needed to have our voices heard. And upon hearing that a rally was being held, by groups that were literally have against Islam in their title, by soldiers of Odin who were handing out anti-Semitic, Islamophobic, uh, anti-Asian literature in places such as Richmond and Abbotsford, amongst other places. We felt the need that here in Vancouver, we needed to stand up. And if I may say as an educator, I need to teach what I preach in the streets. It's as simple as that. And just as I, have tried to examine my own intersectionality, understood that it was the time to not just do it within four walls of a classroom or within my own personal life, but to do so in the streets and to have others hear about the intersectionality that controls people's lives and that really creates our system. That's what brought us here. As a teacher, listening to the voices of my students, as an advocate, as an activist, working with quite a few marginalized groups, it is very clear that Charlottesville is a microcosm of what we have here in Canada. It is a mirror that we must look at and reflect upon ourselves. We have to be honest. We stand on stolen land, unceded territories that held millions of indigenous people since time immemorial. That is the first wound. That is the first intersect that we see here in Canada. I dare you, I, I not only dare you, I ask of you to speak to someone that doesn't live the same experience you do. It could be a neighbor. It could even be a family member. And ask them to think about the intersectionality in their lives. How do they face racism, classism, sizeism, any, any kinds of oppression in their daily life? I think you'll be surprised. I think you'd be shocked to see just how many people see themselves as being less than. I want you to think about that for a moment. Being less than in Canada. And yet, the intersectionality in terms of oppression is very, very clear. And to be absolutely blunt, that we still get a lot of the same reaction, that certain groups are not good enough, any number, honestly, of stereotypes, of derogatory comments, I could go on. 
But the reality is that we can't just pretend that we are better than anybody else because we are not. To make this clear, we do all live under structural oppression, but with different experiences. What this all boils down to is that we all have a relationship with how the structural oppression is enacted and responded to. So no one can hide. No one can say that I don't belong in that world. I'm not racist. I'm not this. Because we live under a structure that is created to be racist, that comes from a Eurocentric white supremacist ideal, that unfortunately, we are all part of it. So really, the first thing we have to think about ourselves is our relationship to it. Now, we can reflect all we want, but just as Charlottesville happened, just as any case of terrifying violence, oppression, terrorism, whatever uh, kind of moment in time that scares us, does that mean that we have to wait for said moments? Do we simply lead our lives struggling with oppression, struggling with realities that we all face, except in different ways, and simply only recognize and focus on the terrifying, the most terrifying moments? Well, that's actually a problem. Because let's be honest with ourselves. How many of you think about how a person of color has to deal with their life every day? How does someone who is indigenous walking on a land that they are told is no longer theirs, what is their experience life every day? What happens to a person who wears a hijab as they walk through the streets, as they enter a room? We can't. We don't have all those experiences. We cannot know every single person's reality. And so it's a very, very important thing that we need to move forward on is that we cannot let our actions be predicated on the negative. It does not take blood on the streets. It does not take the highest level of violence for us to actually open our eyes. I would actually consider that a failure, that we actually almost are complicit, are openly ignorant, very much choosing to stay ignorant, as we know ignorance is bliss, quote unquote, but really, what does that mean? It means that we reinforce the structures at play. We add to the structure. We continue to build on it. And only, only when our heartstrings are pulled, because maybe, to be honest, that person is white, because they belong to our community, that somehow it enrages us. Think for a second. If a person of color who is screaming for years about the injustices in their world, about the intersectionality of oppression in their lives. And only when a white person dies, does anybody listen. The Intersect is brought to you by Creative Brainery. On August 19th, here in Vancouver, over 4,000 people met at the Vancouver City Hall to take part in an anti-racism counter-protest. So Annie, you were one of the organizers. Can you tell me about how intersectionality aligns with the Stand Up to Racism rally? Absolutely. Intersectionality was very simply our structure. It was our framework. So you can imagine how that fits in in a world that isn't 
intersectional, that, that is built on discrimination. Our goal was to go from the opposite direction. Everything from the skill sets used, from the speakers we brought in, from the different organizers that took part. We did our very best in a very short time period, five days to be exact, to put together what we hoped would be a mixture of messages, a mixture of people that could speak to the varying forms of oppression that they face in their daily lives, and that anybody who came, anybody that listened, anybody that thought about it afterwards, would be able to start to break down that messaging as well. We were there to find commonality in our intersectionality, not to fear it, not to somehow demean some over others, as the other rally had planned to do against very specific groups of people, but rather in the voices of those that wanted to speak about how their daily lives were controlled by racism, by classism, by anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, the list goes on. That intersectionality would hopefully be the key point that people took away after that rally. We had fantastic responses, but let's be clear, people were fearful. They were afraid of what could occur if there were flashpoints of violence. Uh, People feared of what if they were targeted because they belonged to a group that was marginalized. Where would the protection be for them? Because to be clear, in most of our society, we do not afford those people protection. They They exist in that racist moment. They face the microaggression, the violence, the oppression, the bullying. And really, no one's around to capture it. No police show up. Maybe friends laugh it off even. And so there was that. That being said, we certainly never expected 4,000 people plus to show up. And so it seemed that a lot of people realized the good in coming together. After the fact, the reaction was amazing. Uh, Everybody was so happy, was, was even proud that they were willing to come out, that people commented on various speakers and how they heard things they had never heard before or had never thought about before, to to be honest. Also, and I want to make this clear, as always, there's always work to do on intersectionality. You know, in a three-hour time frame that you can only uh, include so many speakers, um, there were voices missing. There were groups that, for whatever reason, were not represented. We did our best to reach out to whoever we could, But I think there's a point, a very important point here. And that is that in the, and I would say thousands of groups, and I am not exaggerating, that in the thousands of groups that could have spoken is a very important message. That so many of us feel marginalized by a system that oppresses all, that is built to oppress all, that uses uh, mechanisms of power that exalts some, and oppresses others. And so there's power to this that moves us forward, that allows us to have momentum. We need those voices to be heard, all of them. And yes, we don't have endless hours, we don't have endless days, but that being said, a dedication to uncovering that intersectionality is probably the biggest thing to come out of the rally. Hmm. That's incredible. And I think it really speaks to our previous points of, um, it's not a matter of comparing oppression. It's a matter of understanding the universality of it. And also, you know, you speak so highly of it and you embodied a hashtag for the rally itself, armed with love. And I think that speaks to how we have to merge as 
humans, as people, to come together to fight this on a daily basis. It's okay to be scared. Unfortunately, in the way we react to things, sometimes we turn to the violent road. And many have done that. And yet, I always think that when you do find yourself in a moment of violence where you commit that violence or it's a violent moment in and of itself, when you leave that moment, are you truly happy? Have you resolved the conflict? And so when I was asked on some media about whether we would be coming armed, truly, the only thing I could think of that as organizers, what had we talked about? We had talked about love. We had talked about positivity. We had talked about non-engagement with the Nazis, the anti-Semites, the Islamophobes that were present that day. And yes, it's not a cliche. Uh, it's not meant to be a moment of, of simple, you know, love above all. It is a call to arms, but a call to arms to use our love, to use our love in a positive way. And again, absolutely, that not one person that responded to us afterwards ever compared themselves. Perhaps they wanted their voice heard, but they never said they deserved a spot more than somebody else. Amazing. I had the opportunity to speak at the anti-racism rally, and it was incredible, almost overwhelming to see people's reactions, especially to some of the messaging that I had the honor to, to say. Giving responsibility to dismantle white supremacy, that work to be the work of white people, for them to stop acting surprised, to wake up, to listen, learn, invest. I felt like people really resonated with those messages. And I felt like people who have been marginalized, they were almost called to action to confront, to feel unsettled, to disrupt, speak up and speak out. You know, you, Annie, had the opportunity to speak as well. You were the last speaker. You did a great job of wrapping up the messaging, the conversation, and creating that inclusive space that you did a great job, you and the other organizers, of headlining all of those speakers. Silence is violence. Was very powerful. Many people took, took that upon themselves to think about their own silence and what that meant to so many that they were surrounded by on that day, what it meant to themselves as well. And so it's very, very real. The moment was very real when you said those words, because it was that gut check moment of having to look within oneself and go, okay, why am I here today? What am I going to do after this? What is my responsibility? Is it enough to just come to a rally? Or do I really need to start, again, that word I use, the relationship? What is my relationship to the system, to that structure of oppression that has been built, maybe by other hands, but that I benefit from? It's intersectionality in those moments and how you are defined as a human being. How is that a source of power to you? How can you use your culture, your background, your knowledge, your heritage, everything about you to propel forward universal ideas of human rights? That makes me believe we have a lot to talk about. Absolutely. Resources. Tools to approach and discover the intersections of today's episode as they apply to your world. Today, we're going to focus on you as the resource. Number one, it's really important to check your privilege. Number two, deconstruct your experiences. Share your stories far and wide. Number three, be open to learning and find out why people disagree with you. Number four, refuse to be silent and go forth, hashtag 
armed with love. And finally, we welcome you to use those hashtags. Hashtag armed with love. Hashtag silence is violence. Violence. Love this episode of the Intersect podcast? Head over to iTunes to subscribe and leave a review. You can also find us on Stitcher and Google Play. It is not okay.